This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting Honey Boy, an emotional coming-of-age film that critics are calling a cinematic act of courage and nothing short of miraculous, starring Shia LaBeouf, Lucas Hedges, and Noah Jupe, in theaters November 8th. Front hook. Ankle hook. Knee hook. From here, you can do the carousel. Just switch. And wrap. That's Jennifer Lopez teaching Constance Wu to use a stripper pole in the upcoming film Hustlers. I'm Mark Olson, and you're listening to The Real, the podcast where culture and entertainment meet. Today, we're going to be talking about the fall festival season. So many of the movies that are premiering that are going to be coming out, hopefully a part of this year's awards conversation. This really is such an exciting time of year as movies that we've been thinking about, reading about, talking about. The hypothetical becomes real. And so joining me today, I have my colleagues, Jen Yamato, Amy Kaufman, and Glenn Whip. Thank you all for being here. Money. <laughs> I was born to flex. Jen, you actually wrote a piece for our fall movie sneaks about Hustlers. You interviewed this, one of the stars, Constance Wu. I did. Tell me a little bit about Hustlers and why it's a movie that seems to be generating a lot of excitement even ahead of its premiere. Well, Hustlers is written and directed by Lorraine Scafaria, and it's based on a true story, a true crime story that was written up originally and went viral as an article in New York Magazine. It's about a ring of former strippers who band together and decide to turn the tables on the Wall Street sleazoids that are their clients at this strip club in New York and devise a scheme to con them out of large amounts of money. It is inspired by this true story. But the movie is actually really strongly about the female friendships that are created, this sort of sisterhood among this group of anti-heroines and <laughs> criminals who in real life were arrested. It stars Constance Wu as Destiny, a single mother, a hustler in the making who is dancing at this club, not doing particularly well. This is a very predatory world that we see these women in. And she meets J-Lo. J-Lo plays Ramona, who is this golden emblem of success in this world, and they develop a friendship that is sisterly, sort of at times maternal, and together they create this expanded sisterhood of stilettoed strippers. I know, Glenn, as we're having this conversation... I just love the alliteration there, and let me just... <laughs> I was searching for something. Tip of the hat to yeah. you there. But the, the movie has not yet had its world premiere, and it's going to be premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival, where we, all four of us, will be. And it, this is exactly the kind of movie that I find really interesting in our current moment, simply because it's hard to tell exactly what this movie is and what its fortunes might be. In some ways, Hustlers is probably not a typical prestige awards picture, but who's to say? Like, Do you feel like, again, as we're setting the table and getting ready for this year's award season, is it possible for a movie like Hustlers to jump in the race? Yes. It sounds a little Widows-like, but maybe more fun. Widows was super fun. I, mean, I really I, liked Widows. I really liked Widows, too, but I mean, it was kind of gritty. This sounds a little less, but I don't know. I haven't seen it. Well, what I what me. I really like about it is that it is an, a story about sisterhood and empowerment, and it also points out how these women fall into these systems of inequity that they exist in. I just want to take care of my grandma, maybe go shopping every once in a while. 
When I was a kid, I always wanted to work with animals. <laughs> I was close. And it asks us to think twice about how we see women like this who maybe work in this profession, who are in dire straits that are so desperate or imbalanced that they choose to turn to crime to make their way and to chase their version of the American dream, their American hustle. And that's what I think is really special about Hustlers. I think J-Lo, if anyone in the cast has a good shot at maybe Golden Globe, at least, a nomination, it would be J-Lo. I interviewed J-Lo earlier this year for the movie Second Act she was in, which compared to that, let me tell you, this performance is a zillion times better. It fits her vibe perfectly. She's got that kind of like street edginess while still being maternal and endearing. And it just looks like the perfect role for her. And in the first 10 minutes, she does a pole dance that like, if you guys have no interest in this movie, you want to see it for this alone. Her body, she's 50 years old. She's never looked hotter. The things that she can do on that pole, I saw so much of J-Lo. I was like, is this real? And she is a producer on the film. Yeah. In addition to this also being just like a fantastic ensemble, we have Constance Wu and J-Lo anchoring the movie, but we also have Lily Reinhart, Kiki Palmer, Trace- Cardi B, Lizzo. <laughs> Lizzo's flute is in the film. Yeah. Trace Lissette. It's a really, really great cast of women telling the story, and that's another strength that it has. I would love to see J-Lo in the awards I mean, it feels like a reach, but we'll see. But now, Glenn, I was so glad to hear you. I'm looking at the TIFF schedule right now, just making sure I can see it. And you've got you guys have sold, baby. I mean, yeah. And so, from where we sit now, as we're looking at all these movies that are going to be opening over the next few months, I keep asking myself the question: What is this year's A Star Is Born? Or more importantly, perhaps, what is this year's Green Book? Do you think that there are movies (laughs) that we don't see coming? Is that more important? Well, is there a movie that, I mean, at this point last year, before Toronto, I don't think we would have sat here and said, oh yeah, Green Book all the way. And so I think I'm interested in, Glenn, if you have any thoughts on if there are any sleepers or movies that maybe we aren't seeing as being the awards juggernaut that they might become. What do you think? I mean, Green Book was kind of a singular sensation. It was the movie that we just kept expecting not to keep winning things. Starting with, I think the first time we talked about it last year was at the Toronto Film Festival, and I had just seen it. It's like, wow, the crowd really responded to this movie. It it's just, where it had its world premiere were, and took away the, the audience award. People were crying, that. people were applauding, standing, and I was like, hmm, you know, and then, it, yeah, it won the audience award, and then it just kept winning every other award after that. And every time we'd say, no, Roma's going to win this. And Green Book did. When you talk about what is the star is born as this year, it feels like marriage story is that. Although it's just in the sense that it's the movie that's landing at Venice, it's landing at Telluride, and everyone is just going, this is Well, if it's the star is born, then it's not going to do anything in the end. Let's back up for a second. So Marriage Story, the new film from Noah Baumbach, a a well-respected writer-director who's never quite had a commercial Mm -hmm. breakthrough. This stars Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson as a couple going through a divorce. And so it has, in many ways, the parameters of a more conventional prestige picture. I mean, I mean, the obvious parallel to it is perhaps Kramer versus Kramer. And so when you compare it to A Star is Born, is that simply because of the fact that it's coming in with a lot of heat? And, and from where it sits now, it's a movie that people are suddenly expecting a lot from. 
Yeah, it's making Everybody. all the middle-aged critics cry. <laughs> Think about their lives. <laughs> I I don't know that it's, uh, I think it's younger, too. I mean, it's got Driver and Scarlett Johansson. It's You haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it. You haven't you don't, seen you don't it. Think you don't think yet. you're going to cry? I'm, you don't I think mean, you're I ready cry. to go through this wrenching experience? Look, I fully and... admit that I will cry at a really sad commercial, so I'll probably cry. I'm a yeah. very empathetic person, Glenn. Toronto was where I first bonded <laughs> with you because I saw you walk out of La La Land crying and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> we're the same. And now we're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting The Report, a riveting film that critics are raving is thrilling with razor-sharp dialogue and a perfect cast. Starring Adam Driver, Annette Benning, and John Hamm. In theaters November 15th. Maybe to shift gears from what seems like a more conventional sort of festival awards movie to a movie that many people have been surprised to be showing up on the roster for Venice and Toronto is Joker, the new film from Todd Phillips, best known for the Hangover Pictures, starring Joaquin Phoenix as the sort of superhero villain. And this story supposedly not canon. It's an original story just using the character of the Joker. And people are very intrigued by it, curious about it. Jen, how do you feel about this, like a fancy version of Joker? I'm down with it. I'm glad it exists. It's an interesting step outside of the normal superhero spandex blockbuster box. And I'm really curious how fans of the superhero genre, you know, this Marvel and DC diehards are going to receive it and or support it in theaters since this is like an artsy take on it's a character study about Joker that clearly from the trailer is much more serious. Why so serious? Ew, forget the fans. When they showed this trailer at CinemaCon, I was like, oh, wow, a movie I would actually watch from this landscape. His performance was layered and nuanced and had something to do with exploring mental illness. Like, I'm excited to see Joker, and you will not catch me hearing that, saying that about a lot of Marvel or DC films. And I think that we have a clip from that, so let's listen down. This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. Well, I know for myself, I I saw... Uh, I was at a public screening of a, of a different movie at the Arclight Hollywood, which is my local theater, and they showed a trailer for this to, you know, a paying audience that wasn't expecting it. People were pumped for this movie. I think there's a lot, especially here in Los Angeles, there's a lot of expectation around this movie. But Glenn, do you feel like both for the fact that it's sort of an unconventional comic book movie and then also apparently quite dark, do you think this could jump into the awards picture? Yeah, I kind of feel like this is going to be the Academy's blockbuster entry. I think this is going to be a commercial phenomenon. Some of our colleagues have seen it. I have not yet. They love this movie deeply. So, What do they love about it? Joaquin Phoenix. Joaq. Guacamole. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, when you asked me before, what's the maybe surprising? I guess for some people, a movie like this will be a surprise best picture contender. Even though we had Black Panther last year and very different, that was very much of a distinctive Marvel movie made with a great voice, Ryan Coogler. This is a 
dark character study of a character we've seen to great effect before with Heath Ledger and Nicholson too. But it looks like we haven't plumbed the depths of the Joker yet. Yeah, it's funny. I actually, last year at Toronto, I interviewed Joaquin Phoenix for the movie The Sisters Brothers. Mm. and Subtle at, flex. At the end of our interview, he was genuinely leaving at the end of the festival, like literally like in a day or two, to go off to shoot Joker. So this was right before he was leaving to shoot, and he'd lost a lot of weight. He, he was a little scary to just be around. And I asked him what you just said. And I said, you know, considering Heath Ledger, considering Jack Nicholson, how do you feel about taking on this role? And he said, oh, well, now that you put it like that, I'm nervous. And then... <laughs> as if, dude. And then he proceeded to get quite upset and I didn't know what to do. And I what was. What do you mean? He was having a moment. He was sort of ranting about it a little bit. And then he stopped. He just smiled at me. Basically, Joaquin Phoenix was just pulling my chain and like making me feel weird about the question that I'd asked him. He jokered you. He jokered you. He was already me. in Wait, character. What? How do you know? Because he started la- smiling and laughing about it. I don't lie. It was terrifying. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Was but, he wearing makeup at the time of the show? No, which was all the scarier. There is another fall movie that I would love to see break out, and I hope it will. I think critically it will for sure. Parasite. Let's talk about it. I'd love to know. You know, it's a foreign language film. Directed by Bong Joon-ho. It won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year. So for a foreign language film, it's kind of coming in as sort of ready to go as as it might be. What do you think, Glenn? I mean, especially considering the success that Roma did have last year as a foreign language film, the the way that we've now rebranded the category to international film this year, do you think the Academy is ready to take on another foreign language film into the Best Picture race? I do, and I love this movie. Maybe my favorite movie of the year that I've seen, Bong Joon-ho. You know, South Korea has never had a movie nominated for Best Foreign Language Feature. I can't imagine that just this is the movie that will stop that. But I think it's just so good. So, so crazy. Good. It's, it's about this family of grifters who insinuate themselves into the lives of a well-off family. But it's about class. Yes. And it's so well meticulously constructed. It's such a good movie. It surprises you. I almost hesitate to say too much about what happens in the story. Well, every turn of this movie surprised me. He took it in a different direction. You're sitting there and you're expecting, okay, this is where they're going. And no, they're going in a different way. And as Jen says, it's about income inequality, about class. So it really reaches some deeper things while being just this absolute crazy thriller that's just insane. It works on multiple levels. Like I said, I think it's my favorite movie of the year, along with, of course, Once Upon a Time. Well, okay, so (laughs) here's the thing. Everybody's losing their minds about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Can Parasite not just get a foreign nomination, foreign language nomination, but Best Picture and like the main categories? That's what I would like to see. Is it possible, Glenn? Absolutely. Yeah. What's interesting about that, about Parasite, is being released by Neon, which doesn't have a track record when it comes to getting a Best Picture nomination. This would be, I mean, there's a lot of things working against it, but I don't know anyone who's seen this movie that's just not come away just raving about it. What are the emotional movies that you think are going to be a TIFF this year? Anything that's going to like Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Oh, that's the Mr. Rogers movie. I'm stoked about that because 
I was one of the many people who loved the documentary last year. And so because of the proliferation of Mr. Rogers material that has been out there in the last year, it'll be fun to see Tom Hanks's fictional twist on a Also, it's interesting that as we're getting closer to the movie coming out, that Mario Heller, the director of the movie, has really been trying to emphasize to people that it's not a Fred Rogers biopic, Mm -hmm. that it's about this specific episode of Fred Rogers being interviewed by a skeptical journalist. The movie is sort of about the philosophy and practice of Fred Rogers, how you sort of enact your Mr. Rogers-ness in the world. Yeah. My subtle flex is that I... And pen pals with Joanne Rogers, the widow of Fred Rogers, and she will not be in attendance, sadly, at TIFF, but is behind the movie. So, yeah, it's interesting. Like, she donated she, Fred's clothes. I guess all right. of Tom Hanks's costumes are actual clothes that belong to Fred Rogers. I mean, she's a straight G, and if she supports the movie, then I support the movie. <laughs> and now, Glenn, Man, you talk about getting into character, putting on one of those sweaters, right? Do you think they're like moth eaten or like perfectly preserved? I'm I'm thinking there's some cedar blocks in those closets. Props. Yeah. I think yeah. they smell like gingerbread cookies and <laughs> friendship. I feel like they smell like, like church, but okay. <laughs> and now, Glenn, you wrote a terrific piece recently that was about, it has to be said, Netflix and the sort of large slate of movies that they're bringing into the award season, including Marriage Story. But they have one film in particular that's not at Telluride. It's not at Venice. It's not at Toronto. That's Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which will be having its world premiere at the New York Film Festival. We have a clip from The Irishman, so let's listen to that now. Hey, my friend. I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm going to put him on the phone and let you talk to him, okay? Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Even from something so brief, I'm sold. I'm quite excited. And just as we're recording this, it was recently reported that the movie's going to have an oversized running time. I think it's near or right around three hours long. And three and a half. What like are your 329, I think. Especially considering that at this point, it will have all these movies that will reveal themselves, will think we'll kind of know what's on the table. Then there's going to be this big piece of the puzzle that we won't see for another month or so. What do you think is going to happen with regards to The Irishman? Is it going to change the game? I, you know, three and a half hours of Scorsese. <gasps> I mean, it's pretty great. <laughs> I, I'm, Netflix, I'm excited. Kind of, I, I can pause and, for a little intermission. I was thinking about that as I was driving up here. Like, I'm sure people are going to watch it on Netflix and like watch a half hour at a time. It's Scorsese working with Pacino for the first time, reuniting with Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel, Joe Pesci. I mean, for the bulk of what is still the Academy's predominant membership, which is men over the age of 60. This movie has a tremendous pull just seeing Scorsese return to the mob genre with this particular cast. It's hard to imagine it not being a game changer. Um, It's a film he's been working on and laboring over and tinkering with forever. But now I want to be sure that, I mean, there's still so many movies, even just that are premiering at Toronto that we haven't even tried to touch on. I mean, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. There's going to be the Safdie Brothers' new film, Uncut Gems. It has a performance from Adam Sandler. There's going to be the new Dustin Daniel Cretton movie, Just Mercy, that's going to be premiering there. I mean, I guess I'm curious, like, what are a few titles that from all of you that you're still excited to see? I know for myself, there's a movie that's at Venice 
and Telluride, the new Kelly Reichert film, First Cow, that's not going to be at Toronto. And that's a movie that I, I, she's one of my favorite, favorite filmmakers. And so whenever there's a new movie from Kelly Reichert, I'm very excited. What about all of you? Is it Jen? I'm super excited about a film that's premiering at this fall called Waves. It's the next film from the director of Krisha, Trey Schultz. And it stars Kelvin Harrison Jr., who, if you missed him earlier this year in Luce, L-U-C-E, you got to catch up because that alone, that movie, Luce, he gives one of the best performances of the year. And so to have two probable best performances of the year in one year is going to be, I think, undeniable. Kelvin Harrison Jr., that's his name. And it also stars Lucas Hedges. Great cast. Really looking forward to that one. Amy, do you have anything you're looking forward to? I am excited for Little Women, which is after Toronto. <laughs> that is my big award season looking forward to moment because that was a seminal book and movie, the 94 version for me as a kid. But the Greta Gerwig movie is not going to be a Toronto. That's all about Noah Baumbach, her <laughs> spouse and baby daddy. So we will focus on that. I am excited for Marriage Story his movie, and um, obviously want to give some docs some love. I think the new Lauren Greenfield movie, Kingmaker, looks really interesting. She is a documentarian who has focused a lot on wealth in America, and now she's moving outside to the Philippines, where she profiles Imelda Marcos. She was the first lady of the country. Her husband is now dead, but she's a fascinating character. The parallels between her and, if anyone saw The Queen of Versailles, Lauren Greenfield's earlier movie are going to be very interesting to some people. Glenn, do you have any other movies that you're looking out for? I mean, Waves, I've heard just great things. Cannot wait to see that. I agree with that. Uncut Gems, which you mentioned before. So. What about uh, Renee Zellweger as Judy? Judy. I kind of feel like that's going to be a movie where we love her and seen that the movie yeah. okay. Well, Amy, you, you interviewed Renee Zellweger for Sneaks. Tell, oh. tell me about that. Subtle flex. <laughs> I didn't. Mark was flexing for me. <laughs> you saying flex is amazing, Glenn. Secondhand flex. Um, yeah. I agree with you, Glenn. I think that Renee's performance, I know she's getting one of those little tributes at Telluride, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that sort of an indication that... You're really in the conversation. Who's the male actor getting one? Driver. Adam, Adam Driver. Driver. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how people react to it. I think she physically transforms into Judy Garland really well. This is a movie about her, the end of her life. So Judy is really struggling in her personal life, battling for custody of her kids and taking pills and drinking and, and trying to make ends meet in London. So you do see Renee on stage a lot. And she, as we know, sang as Roxy Hart in Chicago. And she has a good voice. In the last year, we've seen the different approaches between Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man. Like, do you lip sync? Do you do your own thing? More like Taryn Edgerton. And in this movie, Renee does her own thing and does not try to mirror Judy Garland, who is obviously a very iconic voice. I'm not sure how well that worked out. Her acting, I think, is great, but singing, we'll see how it goes over. But it's oh. end of the life, Judy Garland, right? Right. So, so her voice her was voice not is, as strong. Yeah. 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 But I mean, those recordings are still widely available. So that's always like a hard. Right. I mean, Zellweger forever was attached to play Janis Joplin. I mean, she has 
I would guess. A she great got them voice. pipes. Yeah. yeah. Also coming up, just having premiered at Venice, and it will be playing at Toronto as well, the movie Seaberg, which another kind of biopic stars Kristen Stewart as the actress Jean Seaberg. It's from the years like roughly 1968 to 1971 or two, and it's about Seaberg when she became very politically active, involved with the Black Panthers, and the FBI essentially hounded her out of the country. And I think, you know, Kristen Stewart's an actress that many people really like, has got a huge fan base, but she hasn't quite had a conventional enough awards movie. And I think this movie being kind of a biopic is the first time that Kristen Stewart's had a movie that could possibly put her into the awards race. Do you think she has a real shot? Because obviously when you win the Cesar, like she's legitimate recognized actress, but why hasn't she gotten to that place I yet? mean, I think it's a matter of the movies that she has been in. The movie that she won the Cesar for, The Clouds of Sils Maria, was a European production directed by Olivier Assayas. It was some in English, some in French, had a relatively small distributor put it out in this country. And so I think it just didn't quite have the muscle behind it. And with Seaberg, it'll be interesting to see, I mean, will remain to be seen if it actually puts her in the race, if it gets like enough attention and acclaim. But we'll see. I mean, I think the idea of her in this role at this time in her life, there's some connection there. The perfect moment for Kristen Stewart to be playing Gene Seaver. What about the fact that she's also going to be in Charlie's Angels this fall? What do you commercial play. Um... Well, Glenn, how do you feel about that? Do you think when you have your artsy awards movie and your bigger commercial movie, do those kind of bounce off each other in a positive way? Or like, does it muddy the message for someone like Kristen Stewart? I mean, I think it would help her because it'll just put the movie Seberg more in the spotlight. She'll be out promoting Charlie's Angels, and so she can talk about this other movie. I mean, anything that increases awareness for it. But what if Charlie's film, Angels is like a trash? Um, is that possible? I believe it might be. Okay. What about Brad Astra? What's the commercial? That sounds like RC? something Justin would say. Right? Is he gonna like Sad going Brad. for Ad Astra and Once Upon a Time? <laughs> Well, I think the thing that's interesting about that, you know, I just wrote a piece about Ad Astra, and I think that's clearly a lead performance for Brad Pitt. This is a space adventure film directed by James Gray, an independent filmmaker who's making his first really big budget movie that he's made. But then with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I know this remains to be seen, but I think with Brad Pitt in that movie, you could make it more clearly a supporting performance so he can be competitive in both categories and not cancel each other out. I mean, the tough part there will be Brad Pitt for Ad Astra competing against his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood co-star Leonardo DiCaprio in the leading actor category. And we are all going to be talking again soon in Toronto, having seen a lot of these films. So we'll be able to continue this conversation that will be going on all the way through the Oscars, which this year, Glenn, March? It's it's earlier. February 9th. And so we're going to wrap up this conversation, setting the table for the fall awards season. Jen, tell everybody where they can find you online. You can find me at Jen Yamato. Amy? At Amy K in LA, where I will be searching for Ryan Gosling and Drake in ye olde Canada. Glenn? At Glenn Whip. Two ends, two peaks. And I, of course, am at Indie Focus. So for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Wilson. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our producer, Katie Cooper, and our engineer, Mike Heflin. You can listen to The Real on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, latimes.com slash podcasts, wherever you get your audio. And please like and share this week's episode. It helps more than you know. 